Now, I have to admit, it's a little discouraging to get up after a song called Nobody Listen and Speak, but we're in this series called Love Everyone Life by Life. And last week, we looked at how we were designed to love God and love people, and they're interconnected. You can't say you love God and not love people, and it's really hard to love people without God's help. They're they're interconnected. And we talked about how in the midst of this broken world, this divided world, that the people all around us might look like they have it all together, but in many ways, we're all suffering in some way or another. We all have our battles that we fight. We talked a little bit last week about how lonely we can be, but I've discovered a statistic that may not surprise you. One out of 10 Americans suffers with depression. Now, I realize there's different types of depression. There's chronic depression. There's seasons of being depressed. There's a woman who reached out and shared her journey of recovery. And it won't be like this for everybody, but it was remarkable what she shared because what helped her find healing, she said, was a good listener. Listen to what she wrote. She said, I emptied my entire heart, all my fears, my disappointments and pain. I released all of it to this listener. It was a pure, non-judgmental, patient and empathetic space where I got to express and feel understood and validated. I didn't get any solutions, advice or answers. Instead, I got thought-provoking questions like, what does your soul really want? What brings you joy? What are you grateful for? How can you forgive? It was this powerful listening that provided immeasurable healing. It was the first time in my life I actually felt like I had been heard and really understood. Slowly but surely, I was able to walk out of the depression with the help of powerful listening. First time in her life, she felt really heard. Think about the time in your life where you felt most loved. More than likely, that was a a person that listened to you, that asked questions, that was very interested in you. So last week, we gave you a very practical way to love everyone life by life. We mentioned our app. If you haven't already downloaded the Gateway Church app, you can do that. In fact, there's a little image coming up to show you how to do that. And on that app, there's what we're calling the Life by Life Love Everyone Life by Life Challenge, and you can sign up, and what you're going to start to do is get these little updates on your app, just with reminders of how to love your neighbors, your coworkers, your roommates, your classmates, how to serve them. And a very practical thing is you can start to put their names in there. I don't know if your neighborhood's anything like my neighborhood. We've been in our neighborhood for about eight years, and we've been there longer than almost everyone, the first 14 houses in. There's just lots of transition, lots of people moving. And so it can be easy to kind of overlook or miss people. And we're busy. And so today, what we're going to talk about is something that seems so simple. I mean, if you grew up with Mr. Rogers, you've heard this before. But the world of Mr. Rogers is not the world in which we live in today. We are busier. It's easier to get distracted. People are seemingly more divided. But what if we were to exercise this idea of listening? Because today we're discussing how love listens. 
Now, it's interesting when you look at the scriptures and you look at the life of Jesus, he was asked many questions. In fact, he was asked 183 questions, but do you know he only answered three of them directly? He would always answer a question with a question. In fact, the scriptures tell us he asked 307 questions. He would turn the attention from him to the very person sitting in front of him. And when you read these stories about Jesus and his interactions with people, it's easy to just like, well, that's Jesus, right? He has this divine advantage. He kind of knew what questions to ask. And yet we believe that Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully human. And the same spirit of God that gave him direction and guidance, those of us who say Jesus is our leader, those of us who surrender our life and follow him, that same spirit comes to live within us and can guide us as well. See, he had to do the same things we have to do, which is listen to God and listen to people. Now, there's this one particular story where Jesus goes to the pool of Bethesda. Those of us who had a chance to travel to Israel last summer, working with some of the Palestinian Christians and Palestinian Muslims and doing a camp together, when we were in Jerusalem, we got to see where this pool was. And in those days, 2,000 years ago, rumor got out that if you got to that pool and you were ill or you were disabled and you saw the water moving, the first person to get into that water was healed. And this superstition had spread the word to the point where there was one particular guy who'd been disabled, unable to walk for 38 years. And every time the water would ripple, he would crawl his way to the pool, but he could never get in there first. And as Jesus was walking by this pool, the scriptures tell us that he was prompted and the spirit of God helped him notice this one particular guy. And he goes up to him and he says to him, these words, John chapter five, verse six. When Jesus saw the man lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Now that seems like an odd question. I mean, he's at the pool. You think that's why he's there. But see, Jesus knows the human condition is such that oftentimes our identity becomes our infirmity that actually we allow what's happened to us to become how we describe ourselves. But he knows the truth. Jesus realizes that unless he wants to get well, there's no need to bring healing to him. See, our infirmities, our addictions, our fears can actually become not just our excuses, but our identity. And what it says is that Jesus actually saw him lying there and learned. He took the time to learn his story. And as the perfect human, he stayed perfectly connected to God's spirit and did whatever the Father was doing. And as a finite human being, he had to listen and learn. The scriptures tell us in another place that the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. And so when the man said, yes, I want to be healed, Jesus healed him. But he listened to the spirit of God and he listened to people's stories. And, and we can do the same. And in... Doing so, we can help point people to the one who can heal them. So we need to listen deeply as we seek to love our neighbors and our coworkers, our classmates, 
our friends. It can become an adventure with God because much like as Jesus was walking by the pool, there will be times where people will come to mind and will be prompted to do something kind for them. And when that happens, we need to act on that moment. We need to step into those moments to demonstrate God's love for them by getting to know them, by praying for them and listening to them. Now, some of you are here and you're like, okay, this is a, this is a message for extroverts. I, I'm an introvert and I don't listen to, uh, I don't like this idea of meeting strangers and even though they live nearby. Now, my wife and I, we're very different personalities and I believe she's an introvert that actually many of you who are introverts are better listeners than us extroverts. I go to a party and I try to meet everybody there. My wife finds one person and they spend the entire time together. She hears their life story. I got to know everybody's names. And so there are advantages to being an introvert. My father's an introvert and he would go to parties. My mom's a lot like me and she would meet everybody and he would come with his one story because he was always getting caught. People would look at him as they kind of talking and he didn't ever know what to say. So he'd come with his one story and Inevitably, everybody in his little group was talking, and they look at him, and he tells his one story. Everybody laughs, and they look at him for the next story, and he says, sorry, that's all I got, and he'd walk away. (laughs) But he came prepared. See, we should never allow our personalities to keep us from our purpose, to keep us from our potential. God designed you uniquely, and you have a unique way to connect to the people around you. And your way might not look like my way or someone else's way. But I guarantee you that God's love for you is real and God wants his love to flow through you into the lives of other people. And people love to be listened to because so far too many of us don't listen well. James 1.19 says it this way. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen and slow to speak. Now that sounds like a typo. Because we are quick to speak and slow to listen. But James, Jesus' half-brother, is actually trying to get us to reverse human nature. To actually be quick to listen. See, when we are quick to speak, sometimes we're thinking more about what we're going to say than we are listening to that other person. And I have to admit, this has been a problem for me in the past. I remember one particular time, a a young man was coming to meet with me. He was an intern at the church we were part of in Los Angeles, and he was a bit late. And as he started to go into why he was late, I just tuned out. I wasn't listening. And then I realized that he was done, and I said, oh, that's cool. And he said, did you not hear what I just said? I'm late because I was in a car wreck. And your response is, that's cool. It's the least cool thing I can think of. You got to listen. Be quick to listen. See, what does that mean, to be quick to listen? It means you think more about how to get that person to talk than thinking about what you're going to say. It's an other-centered communication that's loving. You're focused on the other person, helping them feel understood. And this goes counter to human nature. I just noticed in our last newsletter that we sent out this past week Some of the next three workshops we're offering are just helping us learn how to listen. This Saturday, the marriage workshop, you can come away learning how to better listen. Or next Sunday, we have a first responders training for those who want to learn to listen to people's stories and help those who have been abused in one way or another. Or the Hearing God workshop, learning to listen to hear God. So let me give you a few tips on how to listen 
more deeply. First, walk, don't wave. When you see someone, don't just wave. Instead, walk over to greet that person. Now, I'm married to an introvert. She gave birth to two introverts. And so I'm the lone extrovert. And as we're driving down the street, my family mocks me, feeling like I'm on some sort of parade as I wave at everybody. And inevitably, they feel like they have to wave, and they hate that. It's the Bryant family parade going down the street. And better than waving, certainly, you don't want to be rude, but better than waving is actually walking across the street to, to get to know that person and learning their name and learning stories about their life, and, which leads to the next one, asking prompting questions, finding out what, what about your coworkers, what about your neighbors do they enjoy about life, what, what's fun for them? What do they do for work? What do they do on the weekends? Now, if you already know the person, taking an interest in their life and coming back, circling back and asking about what they shared last time can show a level of interest that, again, most of us don't experience from others. And taking this kind of interest is where real friendships begin. And what begins to happen is as you share more of your life and they share more of your life, you'll start to realize that the, the level of conversation can go to a deeper place. Now, you don't want, don't want to go there too soon. You hear your neighbor yelling at their kids. The next time you see them, you don't want to say, hey, so how are things with your struggle with anger? <laughs> now, if they tell you they have a, an issue with anger, then asking that is actually the most loving thing you can do the next time you see them. But... But having the awareness, the intentionality to get to connect to the people around us, it's just simply paying attention and being curious about their life. But another important thing is looking them in the eye. I, I, many of you know this summer I was on sabbatical and I went about five weeks without my phone. And oftentimes I'd be in the library downtown or I'd be in a grocery store or in the airport and I literally felt like the only person there without a phone. I mean, there are eight-year-old kids with phones. Everyone had phones. And it's amazing. When everyone has phones, no one looks each other in the eye. What Steve Jobs meant for good, we have used as a distraction to keep us from actual eye contact. Putting that phone in your pocket or putting it away so that you can look someone in the eye shows that you care. 2 Corinthians 5 gives us an even more important reason why this is important. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. So if you follow Jesus, if you've surrendered your life and chosen to follow him, allowing him to be the leader of your life, then your life is no longer your own. In fact, the love of God expressed through Jesus on the cross should compel us to willingly die each day, to, to make the sacrifices necessary so that others know they're loved by God and loved by us. We are no longer living for selfish reasons. We're living to allow others to experience the love of God that we've experienced. Which leads to another powerful conversation tip. Put them in a good frame of mind. Now, I, I don't 
mean make sure they feel good after you talk, although that's a good idea. What I mean is put them in your mind in a good place. What this passage says, we no longer regard people from a human or worldly point of view. What that means is too often we start judging people. We start assuming the worst in people. And what we should instead instead do is begin to see them the way God sees them, see them for the masterpiece that he created them to be, regardless of the mud that may be covering that masterpiece. Because here's the thing, as you get to know your coworkers, as you get to know your neighbors, you're going to discover you know them more and like them less. That may happen. And when we come to closure too soon on that person, when we see them from a human point of view, rather than from a godly, loving perspective, we will limit the level of friendship we can have. See, when we see someone and who God sees them to be, his unconditional love for him, the the idea that they are created uniquely by God to be a masterpiece, when we begin to see them like that, it will influence how we treat them. And they'll be far more comfortable rather than shutting down, which leads to the next idea. Be a spiritual detective. As this friendship and trust develops, don't be afraid to go deeper. Jesus was the master of this. He could take a conversation to that next level. And certainly we need to be more intentional about getting to know the facts about the people around us. But then when the opportunity is right, when God guides, move that conversation to a deeper place, from superficial to spiritual. So we have to realize everyone we're talking to, God has been working in their life, drawing them to himself. And there are people that came into your life that helped you find faith. Have you ever considered that God has brought these neighbors, these coworkers, these classmates into your life because he cares enough for them that he brought you into their life? That you might be that person who listens, who gets to know them, who cares for them. But there's this remarkable experience where Jesus broke through all sorts of cultural boundaries to express his love and compassion for a Samaritan woman. A Samaritan woman was coming out to draw water and Jesus and his disciples had gone right through Samaria, which was completely countercultural. As we talked about last week, there was a, a religious sect called the Pharisees and they had rules about the rules, about the rules so that you could not mess up these rules because you had all these other layers of rules. And one of their rules was do not talk to a Samaritan because Samaritans believe differently. They married interracially. They were unclean. And Jesus not only went through Samaria, he stopped and saw a woman who was getting water at an odd time of day. She wasn't with all the other women. It was normally a, a social thing to do, but she was there by herself because she'd probably been out ostracized by the other women in her community. And so rather than being repelled by immoral behavior, or this ostracization of this woman, Jesus went straight to this woman and began to talk to her. Again, incredibly unusual. Women in those days were seen as less than property. And so Jesus dignifies her, doesn't condemn her, doesn't judge her. He crossed over these invisible artificial boundaries, these man-made boundaries to have a meaningful conversation. And the Samaritan woman is surprised by it. She even says, 
How can you ask me for a drink? I'm a Samaritan woman. She was being dignified by Jesus. So we have to pause and ask ourselves this question. Are we willing to step across these artificial man-made boundaries that people try to put up between us? Are we willing to love people who look differently, believe differently, make different choices than we would, even vote differently? Maybe the hardest one of all. Are we willing to love people who are coming at life and seeing things differently than us? See, Jesus demonstrates love for this woman, crossing these boundaries. And frankly, that's part of what I love about our church family. This is a place where you belong, no matter what you might believe. This is a place where we are intentional about giving grace and kindness and being patient, crossing these artificial man-made divides. See, when we realize that everyone around us God loves and is pursuing, then we begin to see some of the deeper ways that we can take the conversation. When we listen deeply, people are willing to go to a deeper place. As a church, we, along with other churches in Austin, did a survey. This is fascinating. Do you know only 13% of people in Austin attend church? 13, one, three. You're one of the few, right? We are one of the few. But here's what's fascinating. When asked, the people in the city of Austin, would you, how open would you be to have a conversation about spirituality or religion with a neighbor, 63% said open or very open. I don't know if there's any other question that could be asked of an Austinite where 63% of us would say yes. But the people around us are far more open to spiritual conversation than we realize. Now, they're not wanting a lecture. They're not wanting to feel forced or pressured. They just want to talk about meaningful things. And it's okay to disagree and care for that person even if you don't see things the same way. But it's amazing how people will open up their lives to you if you are just willing to ask meaningful questions. Many of you know our story. My wife, Deborah, and I met in Texas, and we got married in Texas, but then we moved to Seattle, and we were there for four years. We had an amazing season. It was a difficult season, and then we moved to Los Angeles, and in moving to Los Angeles, I decided to do a social experiment because I, at that time, was a, a really poor listener, and so I decided to try to keep the conversation focused on the other person. So anytime someone would ask me a question, I would answer it, but then I would go right back to asking them questions. And I wanted to see how long it would take for people to notice. Well, in Los Angeles, no one noticed. I went six months with this asking questions and then quickly turning the conversation back to them, and I discovered people love to talk about themselves. That's their favorite topic. And the same was true here. In fact, it was six months before someone caught me. His name is Paul Richardson. He's a missionary in Indonesia now. And he stopped me and said, you know, I keep asking you questions and you answer them, but then you turn it back to me. I genuinely want to know more about you. Almost teared up. He was like the first human being that seemed to care in six months. But when we ask questions and we genuinely are concerned about other people, they will open their hearts to us, which leads to the final thought. Listen for the deeper, deeper need. When Jesus has this conversation with the Samaritan woman, it started with a conversation about water. And he 
asks her for a drink, and she's surprised he's having this conversation with her. And, and notice what happens, picking up in verse 10 of chapter 4 of John. Jesus says to her, he takes it up a notch. He says, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. She's intrigued, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob? Apparently this conversation was happening at a place called Jacob's Well. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Now, in the middle of this conversation, it's hard to read all the nuance. It could have just been friendly banter to her at that point. Well, if you got that kind of water, sign me up, right? Sparklets for free. That sounds awesome. But what's happening here is he starts where she is and moves to where she needs to be. And for us, it might be simply having the courage to say, you know, I don't think it's an accident that we're having this conversation. As you're sharing about some of the struggles in your life, can I share with you about how I've found hope in mine? It just opens the door to move the conversation to a deeper place to share your heart, to share what you've discovered in your own faith journey. He met her at her point of need and took her to the place where she needed to go. See, the Pharisees would talk at people. Pharisees had quick, easy answers. If you grew up in Texas or grew up in America, you might have that same framework of Christians. That Christians just have these easy platitudes that they talk at people. But that's not how Jesus acted at all. People who called themselves Christians that did not represent him well have done damage in our culture. But when we follow those footsteps of Jesus, then all of a sudden things are so much different. People feel loved because they are loved. And in that moment, Jesus didn't preach at her. He didn't lecture her. He didn't say, you need to change and I'll give you this water once you do. He just wanted to see if she was willing. And then when she's willing, he takes the conversation even deeper. Listen to what he says. Go and get your husband, he told her. Well, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. He said, you're right. You've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. She says, sir, you must be a prophet. I'm sure she was astounded that he figured this out about her. But she didn't feel judged by him. In many ways, it was almost like he was telling her, look, you're searching for something that I have. See, your solution is not relationships, it's spiritual. It's a relationship with the one who created you. He didn't tell her, you need to move out. He told her that she is loved and she does not have to keep living that way. Obviously, that's not what God's design for her life was. It's not God's hope for her. But remarkably, in that moment, being known, she runs off and tells people in the village who then come to faith, this man knew everything about me and still loved me, still cared for me. 
She didn't feel condemned. She didn't feel judged. She was given a gift, the gift of hope. See, Jesus worked with her willingness. He didn't force the conversation. And I want you to know that that's how God treats you and me. See, the goal is not to get you to change your mind, to argue with you into believing this or that. The goal is that your heart might be healed. That you could discover that there is a God who loves you. That he pursues you. It's no accident that he's brought some of these very people in this room into your life. That you might discover that you were created on purpose and with a purpose. To experience the love of God and to allow that love to flow through you into the lives of other people. See, we're invited into a family, into a kingdom whose boundaries do not exist. A kingdom who's built on love and faith and hope that spreads not through weapons of war, but through people loving people, life by life. And so I want to ask you in this moment to consider what your next step might be. Maybe it's just to connect with God for the first time, or maybe in a new way that exercise we did earlier, maybe that was stretching to you, or maybe it was something that really God spoke to you, those scriptures that were on the screen that was exactly what you needed. That's God speaking to you. Or maybe there's someone that keeps coming to mind, someone you know you need to listen to, you need to spend time with, you need to get to know. I just want to invite you in this moment to pray with me and let God speak to your heart. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you love us. Even if we don't believe in you, you believe in us. Even when we don't live lives that honor you, you love us. God, you see us, you know us, and your unconditional love can transform us. God, may we become women and men who experience your love and become conduits of your love. In a lonely and broken world, may we become peacemakers. May we become people who sacrificially love those around us, those you brought into our life our roommates, our classmates, our family, our friends, our neighbors, those with whom we work. God, you created us on purpose and with a purpose. Would you help us to say yes to your love and to allow that love to flow through us? God, if we loved just the few people right around us, the city would be transformed. Give us the courage to step out and to love everyone life by life. 